Nelson Mandela had so much compassion for his brothers and sisters. People don't realize this about the Beatles, that they knew they were brilliant. One story in every human being that defines who you are. Do we film on a volcano that's just about to explode? But the reason this mail pack has been astoundingly successful is because there are pictures of rabbits on the envelope. I mean, I think there's something about chaos, right? It either, either you run from it or you run towards it. And for me, there was really this in instance of wanting to run towards it. So here we are in the midst of this incredible time. And Lauren came to us through a wonderful partnership we have for AW2020, where you will be speaking with Michael Phelps uh, on the uh, could not be more timely subject of mental health. And uh, you do a phenomenal job leading Panasonic's marketing. So Laura, well, I want to start in an unusual place. Uh, I've done, you know, as always, the Great Minds crack research team in Akron, Ohio, provides extensive briefings on all of our guests. And you strike me as someone who's always been a doer, that you started working at a very young age and that that spirit of volunteerism and really manifesting what uh, one of our heroes, Nelson Mandela, said, which is the measure of a life is how you enrich the lives of others. And I'd love to start with where that mentality came from, and then also talk a little about the work that you do with the ARC. Absolutely. Um, thank you so much for that, too, because it's really a personal passion of mine. And, um, you know, I, I, I come from uh, parents who are extremely hardworking. Uh, their parents emigrated to this country, uh, various uh, uh, Italy, uh, Ireland, and Albania. Um, so very much, uh, you know, very hard work ethic um, that I grew up with. I started working at a young age, 12, 13, various summer jobs. Um, and I really, that really kind of has defined um, my path. And I think, um, and, and it's been a great path because I've had a lot of opportunity, I think, um, you know, kind of hustling, um, not being afraid to uh, take on things, even at a young age that, you know, you may not necessarily have the experience for. Um, I've, I've also been very fortunate to have some extremely good mentors, which, uh, you know, we can talk about uh, in a little bit. But the, um, you know, and the volunteerism is really something that, you know, I grew up in an area that um, had a lot of haves and have nots. Um, we grew up, you know, sort of in the middle class, and I could kind of see both sides of it, and um, had the school experiences that that showed me um, different uh, situations, and it became very evident to me through, you know, middle school and high school, where we would do community uh, work and and you know, uh, volunteering on the weekends. Um, it it just kind of really. Um, struck a nerve and struck a chord with me. And uh, I really kind of sought that out, even through college, you know, all the college years, there's lots of fundraisers that go on. But even after that, I organized when I, I lived in Philadelphia for a while, organized um, my friends into some of these weekends where you would go clean up a school or paint a school. Um, and it just really kind of continued on to and uh, in, in kind of naturally evolved into board service. And um, I was very fortunate um, I, I came into contact with some folks at the ARC. Uh, for those of you who, who may not know what that is, it was formerly known as the Associate, 
Association for Retarded Citizens, but they shortened it to the acronym ARC. Um, it's a national organization with state and local chapters. And I was very uh, fortunate to be able to sit on their board for, um, I think it was seven years. It, my board service finished in 2018. And throughout those years, it was really kind of a pivot away from sort of the hands-on work of volunteering, although I did some of that, but really more into the advocacy and fundraising, which I felt that, you know, given where I was in my life professionally, I was much, much more suited to be able to give back that way. And so nonprofit profit board work was a really great way for me to kind of get my, get a feel for everything. And then that um, kind of around the time that that began to wind down, uh, I was asked to sit on the Consumer Technology Association's uh, Foundation Board of Trustees. And so I've been doing that. I was just reelected to my second uh, go round. So and that's been very rewarding as well. It's a grant making organization that um, historically has served um, visually and um, hearing impaired communities with assistive technologies, um, but has been branching out into other areas, you know, elderly and aging as well. So, it, you know, I'm a I'm a lifelong learner. And so this has been a really interesting journey for me. Um, I, you know, I continue to find ways to give back, you know, time is always tight on everybody's schedule. And I, you know, I feel like both um, through um, my board work and financial, you know, fundraising that that's the best way for me to, to give back. It's super important to me. So I, I love what you're doing there to help make technology more accessible to people with disabilities. Um, we were very lucky a couple of years in London at, at Advertising Week Europe with Paul Pullman, who used to run Unilever, uh, mm -hmm. who's really, I think, one of the great, you know, forefathers of embracing, you know, doing good can also be good for the bottom line. You know, they were so early to the game on sustainability and, and many other things. So Paul's a little bit of a hero of ours. And we introduced on stage there a program to encourage businesses to hire people with disabilities. And uh, that really ties the head and the heart to me together, which from a business vantage point, I think that's how you grow your bottom line also. I'd love to take us behind the curtain on some of the things, the stories we wouldn't know, Lauren, about how Panasonic technology has helped people and changed their lives. Yeah, I mean, you know, um, Matt, our, our company is vast. And depending on the, the region that you're in, um, in Japan, you know, um, you know, they have the, the oldest aging population in the world, right? So the portfolio there is, is focused on a number of, of solutions that help the elderly in their stay in their homes, right? The idea is to keep people in their homes as long as possible. Um, you know, I think in terms of when you talk about the head and the heart, you know, that that really underpins a lot of how we think about um, our customers, our partners, our employees. Um, you know, even in this recent campaign that we architected, you know, it's it's been in market since January. Um, but but the whole idea was, you know, Panasonic is, is in the Centennial Club. We've been around for 102 years. We've had. Um, you know, predominantly been in consumer electronics and uh, consumer goods, which we still are um, in the U.S. and Canada. We're predominantly more a B2B company, uh, business to business and business to government. And um, we do still have consumer categories in beauty, grooming, small appliances, and of course, our storied Lumix. 
But, you know, the whole idea is as we pivot and as we try to modernize, I mean, that's been a, a thread that has gone through all of our, uh, just the history of the company is constantly putting people before products. I mean, when you look at the Konosuke Machusta's, you know, business principles, the seven basic business principles, I mean, number one is contribution to society. And so whether it was through products, whether it's, you know, historically or in, in the more modern times, how we enable employees to give back through structured programs um, through the company or paid time off for them to work with their favorite nonprofit of choice. Um, it really is something that has threaded through the ages of the company long before I got here. I mean, I've been here about four years um, and, and I, in many ways, I'm still learning. I mean, the for a multinational global company that's as big as we are, I mean, there's just a, a constant turning over of rocks and learning more. Um, and I and I've been really proud to work with a team and for an organization that really does truly put a premium on that. If you ask anyone of the 270,000 roughly right employees globally, they will they will tell you our number one business principle is contribution to society, people before products, and people walk that walk every day. I mean, I'm really proud um, during COVID, um, just the the employees really stepping up. I mean, there's examples all over the place. In addition to giving back uh, product and, and making that available for, um, you know, emergency, um, you know, uh, production of ventilators and things like that. We also saw employees on their own time creating masks and PPE and making donations. Um, we have a reward program internally that uh, employees reward each other when, you know, it's like a peer recognition. Well, they were able to actually donate all of the points that they had to the United Way, which would then go to the the food desert problems. I mean, it's just in our it's in our DNA. I mean, at, everywhere you look, it's it's almost. I mean, I hate to say hard to keep up with, but there's there's just every day there's a new story of somebody, and it's really the ethos of of our culture here. So you've worked for two great iconic brands, Xerox and Panasonic. Panasonic today in North America is a very different company than it was 20 or 30 years ago. A lot of your effort around building the brand is geared towards young people. I'd love to hear your reflections on working with two iconic, iconic brands in global technology history between the two and that evolution where they're in a sense, and obviously I want to focus on Panasonic, but they both sort of become B2B brands where they're powering things like the batteries in Tesla, as opposed to uh, I'm going to, you know, I'll date myself, you know, Newmark and Lewis to buy a Panasonic television. Um, I don't think you're going to Newmark and Lewis, by the way. Uh, no, I'm, I'm not sure I know what that yeah, is. Yeah, no, okay. hey, well, <laughs> friend, friendly Frost, I can give you a whole graveyard of electronics retailers. Uh, but, you know, that's an interesting journey because you're now often much more behind the curtain than you are in front of the curtain. Yeah. Well, I mean, let me, I'll just quickly kind of talk about Xerox. I mean, uh, you know, Xerox is another, you know, 100 plus story brand American company. What was amazing about Xerox at the time and still continues. I mean, they're, they, they've had some ups and downs in the last decade, but 
um, just really their focus on diversity. I mean, Joseph Wilson, Joe Wilson, who just wrote the book on um, diversity in the workplace um, years ago, um, the the focus on Lean Six Sigma, you know, and the innovation, you know, with their affiliation with Park, the Palo Alto Research Center out in California. So just just decades and decades of just the focus on innovation. And so that was a really great place for me in terms of my career and learning, um, having moved from MCI Telecom at the time that had been through kind of a really rough patch with WorldCom in and out of bankruptcy, in and out of WorldCom, landed at Verizon Business. And then I left um, to go to ACS, which was almost a, a year and a half later acquired by Xerox. So you know, like this, the, the common thread throughout my whole career has been just just constant change. Um, but that has served me very well. And, um, you know, so when I when I was recruited to Panasonic from Xerox, I mean, I really saw, you know, I took a lot of time to really understand. I had I had at that point in time not worked at a um, non-U.S. owned company. Um, I really you know, this is this is a, an iconic storied brand with deep heritage and history and I and I really owed it to to all of the people um, who have worked for this company to really study and to really learn and understand. And so um, we didn't really make a lot of early moves. We you know spent some time. I went to Japan. Um, I think it was the first, maybe the second month I was on the job. Spent a lot of time in the museum there. Took tons of pictures. Talked to a lot of people. Really wanted to understand you know, the, the, where the, the leadership saw the company going. And of course, you know, every region is different. It's, it's just a vastness. The portfolios are different by region. Um, but I really felt like it was, it was very easy, very quickly to see that there were so many stories here and the business transformation had really already started, you know, couple years before before I got here, especially in the US. So I just really started to turn over rocks and I said, you know, hey, listen, if you marry that and you and you look at you marry it with what's happening in the world, right? All of the the macro changes that were happening for buyers and how we think about, you know, um this sort of B2B and B2C and B2B2C. I mean, you know, you can kind of kind of look at that stuff and, and you should pay attention to it. But at the end of the day, everybody's, you know, we sort of said at Xerox, we used to call it B2I, business to individual. Um, you just have to remember that people just kind of take off their hat and put the other one on, right? They're still at the end of the day, the same person. And so we really kind of put that at the center of the the work that we did and and sort of this aspirational brand platform that was heavy in, in marrying it with our core ideologies, but also really thinking about what is our envisioned future and what did we want people to think of, especially in this region, right? Because my my remit is is the region, um, not globally. And um, it was really interesting because the um, the the research told us, you know, you've got super high awareness, low recognition, high recognition of your brand, low awareness of what you're actually doing these days. And so we thought, okay, let's dig into that a little bit more. Um, you know, boomers, Gen X, very familiar with the brand, grew up with all those consumer electronics and consumer products in their house, really not hard to kind of connect with them. But then we started looking at, well, what are the dynamics out in the industry? You know, who who are the buyers of the future? And so we really started to focus in on, and I won't say double down, but we really started to focus a lot of our efforts on 
trying to find ways to build a relationship with millennials and Gen Z who are not you know, growing up with their product, our products in their, in their household. And so um, that's really been a lot of what we spent our time on in the last couple of years. Um, we really felt that, um, again, it's it, it, not in this, not necessarily to even sell, but to really just build that relationship to become familiar um, to have all of those stories that where we've invested um, in communities and our workplace and, and sustainability, things that those generations highly value, and really just connecting the dots and telling those stories. So not even necessarily about product, although we have talked a lot about our, our solutions that drive a lot of sustainability goals, but also um, what are some of our workplace stories? Who is the talent that we would like, you know, like to bring into our company and just really helping them understand what this storied brand is all about and has been for a very, very long time. And so I think a lot of those qualities have resonated. Um, we're seeing really, really great. Uh, we just got some research back um, a couple of weeks ago that just really are showing that story was the right or that strategy was was the right one. You know, awareness is 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 really swung pretty high um, in a very short amount of time by just focusing on relevant, relatable stories um, for folks who are moving into positions of influence and decision making, or already there, really, frankly, um, and as well, you know, kind of becoming familiar to Gen Z. So, wow, that's great. So we've been uh, going to Japan as well now. I think we started traveling there. The first advertising we gave you in Tokyo was 2016. So I probably probably started going around 2014. I've probably been there 20, 25 times. Um, wow. And uh, I'd love to get your reflections on your first trip to Japan for Panasonic or with Panasonic and what it's like to work for a company that is based in Japan. Yeah, that's a great question. So, you know, I, I, in full disclosure to Japan before I worked for the company. So I had a little bit of a, of, of an insight, but, you know, again, I mean, I, I'm coming into this company as an American, um, with a remit in North America. So, you know, it was a little bit intimidating. Um, I wanted very much to ensure that I was really understanding the culture, um, of the company and uh, that's why I spent so much time, you know, at the museum and I had, I had, you know, a delegation with me that really, you know, helped me understand, explained a lot of things to me. Um, but, you know, but the story is, is timeless. You know, the, the Kanosuke Machusta story is absolutely timeless. I mean, the founder, you know, invented uh, his first product in, in his house with his brother-in-law and wife, you know, I mean, this is, and it just goes to show you the, the, the humbleness, you know, this idea of, of, of we've been known as sort of, quote, the humble merchant, um, it, it's just threaded throughout the history. And, and, the, and it's, you know, sort of not really talking the talk, it's walking the walk and the products that are built. You know, we, we are, we're known for quality, right? I mean, people say, I still have this, you know, Panasonic product and it works like it worked the first day 30 years later. I mean, that's not always the case, but um, just really, you know, seeing um, the the people, my colleagues there, you know, what they are interested in, what their hopes and dreams are, um, really getting to understand, you know, what everything, just, you know, how they work, where they work, what's important to them, um, how does, you know, what they do every day, um, you know, 
hundreds of thousands of miles away um, if affect us here um, when we we work, you know, um, together and collaborate, you know, what does that look like? And, you know, we're obviously, you know, we're 14 hours apart. So um, just really trying to understand all of those really little micro moments and, and nuances that are super important to building relationships. And, you know, I really, my, my big goal really has been because of the distance and because of the responsibility I have to build that trust. And so, you know, before COVID hit, I would go to Japan probably two or three times a year. Um, and even when I didn't have a project, um, I would, I would kind of make sure I did the rounds and go see people even if there wasn't anything really active in a, in a pipeline, I would make sure I'd go spend time with, with different folks and just keep those relationships um, be, uh, you know, uh, healthy and, and strong. So. So I, I think sort of manifesting the best of the spirit of Panasonic, and it says a whole lot about the company, both historically and present day is the enormous commitment you've made once again, not only to the Olympics as a long-term top sponsor, but also to the Paralympics. And I'd love to hear about Panasonic's early, I think you were the first you yeah. know, major, major Tokyo-based company to commit, or Japan-based yeah. company, I should say, to commit to the Paralympics. Yeah. I, I mean, it's. I think it was 1998, I think 30 years. Is that right? Did I do my math right? Um, it, it's 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 not even a question, right? I mean, it's 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 a uh, something that you that you've got to show up for and support. Um, it in my mind, it's a total package. As a as a disabilities advocate, um, you know, even putting our team Panasonic together it was very important to me that we had that kind of diversity as part of the group. Um, we've been working with um, Lex Gillette, who's a four-time um, Paralympian silver medalist in long jump, an incredible, incredible person. I mean, just um, instantly, you know, just um, connected with him when I when I first met him, just, you know, just so, so wowed by him. Um, but, you know, I, I don't, I don't think it's a hard question to answer, Matt. I mean, I really don't. Um, it's, it, it's giving back in a way that's meaningful um, in the same way that we do that uh, for the Olympics, um, it's a natural extension of what we do there. Absolutely fantastic. And could we hear a little bit about the relationship that you've created with Michael Phelps? Um, we're so thrilled that you and he will be sharing the stage together, having important conversations, which is so critical about uh, mental health. We've been, I think you know this, I shared some of this with Michael, um, but we have a wonderful relationship with a, a terrific group, the Child Mind Institute, around young people and mental health. Yeah. And uh, we have done conversations on stage with Emma Stone, and it was the first time she had spoken publicly about her mental health challenges. Last year was with Jesse Eisenberg, who was so interesting, so curious. Yeah. And we were backstage and rarely, you know, do I find somebody like, he had done his homework about who we were and had like a lot of like, why do you do this? And what are you trying to accomplish? And was so interesting. But what you and Michael are doing and the relationship you've created is so important, speaks to such an important topic. I'd love your insights into that partnership with Michael. Absolutely. So, you know, as, as I said, we were, we were trying to put together team Panasonic and, um, 
you know, the premise of, of doing this was really to align uh, this this strategy around, you know, millennials and Gen Z and building a relationship to, with them. And over the, a, a period of a longer amount of time, um, we, we architected it around this idea of the head and the heart. You know, there's this um, you know, we have on the, on the, on the head, you know, sort of thought leadership side, we have this idea of, uh, you know, kind of more focused on our industry verticals and, and that uh, type of you know, traditional B2B marketing. But on the, on the hard side, you know, we, we had this incredible set of assets with the Olympics and the Paralympics. And we felt that, um, you know, through our research, know that, you know, swimming and diving and gymnastics are, are you know, really interesting sports, you know, millennials and, and Gen Z love, love the Olympics and love sport. And we felt that this was, you know, given our investment in the Olympics and Paralympics, a great way to try to leverage that into connecting. Um, and everything kind of started to fall together. You know, we, we didn't sort of say, you know, oh, hey, we have to have Michael Phelps. It was more organic. And as we went on that journey to, to think this through and to do the research and planning, I struggle the same way, just like anybody else does. The failures experienced in my career have probably given more fuel to help me accomplish what I did more than anything. I love working with kids. It's really powerful when you see a kid put his or her mind to something and overcome that challenge. It's goal setting. It's believing in yourself. It's never giving up. Dealing with mental health struggles, if you have that. The biggest thing that I was really able to connect with with Panasonic was we're both trying to make the world a better place. We have the opportunity to literally change the entire world. Panasonic, what moves us? And so uh, we were able to um, make a pitch around, you know, this, this idea of contribution to society that's really threaded through our culture in the company and really integrate with his vision for his post-competitive career. You know, he has started the Michael Phelps Foundation a few years back with bonus money that he received. Um, I think he said it was about a million dollars. Um, he has been actively partnering with the Boys and Girls Clubs to uh, put forward water safety programs across the country. And in addition to that, they've got a, a program, um, the IM program, which is a riff on his uh, iconic event, the individual medley, but it's, you know, I am smart, I am driven, etc. And so we just felt that there was this great way that we were aligning this idea of, you know, passion is powered by progress, or I'm sorry, progress is powered by passion. And, um, you know, we, we had, you know, meet and greet and uh, really started to kind of talk about that. It was really just two people um, really kind of seeing what the need was um, coming from the place that that we're in as a, a company that really puts a um, a focus and a premium on that. Um, and then we just started talking about, you know, what his journey has been post Olympics. And, you know, I think he's a, an incredibly brave person. Um, I think he's an incredibly kind person. And uh, I've, I've been fortunate uh, to get enough to get to know him a little bit over the last, I guess, six or eight months or so. And um, I'm, I'm really excited about what we're doing with Advertising Week because um, he, he really does um, let you behind the curtain a little bit in this, in this uh, uh, process. And uh, it's been very eye-opening to me. And uh, I feel 
really proud of the work that's been done and really proud that we can help him um, on his journey as he pivots away from being a competitive athlete. Um, um, as you know, his um, new uh, documentary is out, The Weight of Gold, uh, which was uh, launched on uh, HBO and he was uh, executive producer on that. So we, you know, it, it's just all falling in place for him as he starts to evolve into this you know, the next chapter of his life as a philanthropist and a mental health advocate. And it's um, an amazing thing just to, to be a part of, honestly, um, and to help enable him get his message out. And there's something special about Olympians in particular. You know, both of us have been pretty fortunate that we've gotten to meet a lot of people from the sports world, the broader, you know, universe of pop culture. But I remember many years ago, one of my dear friends, uh, long gone, the last Olympics we were at, we were guests at, both guests at Panasonic in Vancouver in 2010, the late Bud Greenspan, who really created the modern era of the sports documentary overall. And from so many years, as you know, did all the official films for the IOC. And I remember going to lunch years ago with Bud and the great, remember the great speed skater, Johan Olaf Kass? Mm who I think later became a physician. And he was, you know, no one's won more medals, of course, than Michael, but he was an extraordinary athlete. And he won a lot of gold medals and was a national hero in Norway. And there was an aura about him that was completely unique. Did you feel that when you met Michael for the first time? I did. I mean, he, he, was, he was super like approachable. There was, you know, we just kind of just started talking, you know, and, um, you know, as this, you know, beloved athlete, um, he's a very relatable person and, um, very approachable, um, easy to talk to. And, um, you know, I even sort of was watching when we were actually at CES launching this, this, uh, campaign, you know, as fans would come up and ask for photos or a signature, you know, he's super gracious and just really engaged with people. Um, but you know, because he's so beloved and relatable, I think he's just, um, got that special, you know, thing that, um, people connect with, right. I mean, all of the greatness of, of his accomplishments as the greatest athlete of all time, but, but also just that the courage that he has to tell his personal story. I mean, that is a, that is an amazing, I mean, the courage to do that, the personal courage to do that is, um, is remarkable. And I think when, when he's putting himself out there and, you know, he's said publicly, you know, uh, shared his, his, um, challenges, you know, and his, you know, sort of, it's okay to not be okay. I mean, he's, he's very forthcoming about it. Um, and, uh, I think, I think that that helps people. I think it, it helps normalize getting help. And I think, um, you know, that's put him on a path in a way that's, he's, he's making a huge impact and it's, it's really amazing to see. Fantastic. Well, this was so much fun uh, talking to you. I hope uh, you enjoyed it. And there is a, a dynamic young crop of tremendous CMOs, a lot of whom happen to be women. You know, I love Alicia Tillman. I'm a big fan of Fiona Corridor. I'm a big fan of Patricia Corsi is a dear friend at Bayer. She's based abroad and you are one of them. <laughs> and you absolutely belong in that club. And you're really the generation that's going to lead us forward and lead marketing, you know, from today, sort of like with Panasonic in many aspects. We know that company with, is already in the future. 
you know, with things like looking at what the smart home is going to look like. Um, and you are already in the future, and I've really enjoyed talking to you. Uh, you know, just Advertising Week is, is going to be terrific. And thank you so much for the opportunity to, to be a part of it. Thank you very much for listening. And for more content just like this, visit AdvertisingWeek360.com. Production on this episode was by Jack Hirschman and Brendan Porter. An original music was by Ian Levy.